2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group, and he's a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's going on?
3: Not a lot, man. Uh, Been kind of a strange week.
2: It's been a really Um, weird week.
3: Yeah, obviously... um with the devastating news of of Kobe Bryant uh, and Gianna Bryant and the seven other people who who died on Sunday, uh, that carried over in into Monday and the the radio show that I produced. It just it was four hours of of Kobe with with guests and callers and, and people paying their respects and giving their memories and stuff, and then today uh to kind of get back into super bowl which is what we spent all last week on mm-hmm. uh was kind of a not strange transition but it feels like yesterday was a month ago like the yeah. the the week in general has just been very not that this is like some negative thing um but it, it's just because of everything that's happened it's been a been a very disjointed kind of week.
2: Yeah, I flew to Miami on uh, Sunday, and as I was, uh, I didn't get off my plane for for my second leg. So I, I got a seat in an exit row, and then some guy um, came, sat down next to me, and then didn't even say anything to me. Just tapped me on the shoulder and showed me the TMZ headline uh, that Kobe Bryant had died in in the helicopter crash, and I couldn't believe it. And then obviously I start scrolling on twitter and it was at that point where you know tmz was the only outlet to have it um and you're just waiting for confirmation or you're waiting for it not to be true you're you're hoping that it's false um and then you know the the reports come in confirming the news and it was just really tough because i mean it's kobe bryant but just you know from from my own perspective it was um, you know hop on a plane, go to the Super Bowl in Miami really really excited about all of that and then just to be hit with that news midway on the trip over was just super devastating um, You know Kobe Bryant was and this isn't you know a, a basketball podcast but just in terms of the figure that he was, the the man he was, the father he was obviously to Gianna um, and all of the different content and stories you see online and, and social media now, about Kobe Bryant and, and the type of father he was was just just really really brutal to take and and so it sort of cast a shadow over the entire um, Super Bowl opening night event on Monday. Uh, we're recording this on a on a Tuesday night um, at Marlins Park. It was just really you know the the main story there. It wasn't the Super Bowl and the fact that we have a super intriguing matchup between the 49ers and Chiefs. It was all about Kobe Bryant because of the type of figure he was and that he he basically inspired an entire generation multiple generations of athletes but specifically like a lot of these NFL players uh, are basketball fans obviously and a whole lot of them think kobe, like have kobe bryant as their favorite player um and dante pettis I talked to him about it on on the floor and and he was You know sort of welling up in tears and he was talking about how he wore his wristbands and his leg sleeves in college based on what Kobe Bryant did the night before he he wore number eight at Washington because obviously Kobe Bryant Um, George Kittle said he wore 24 in high school both in football and basketball because of Kobe as well as wearing his shoes and he had home and away Kobe Bryant shoes that he wore in high school Um, And Richard Sherman obviously became very close to Kobe Bryant, not only as sort of these iconic athletes representing Los Angeles, but Sherman leaned on Kobe pretty heavily when he was coming back from his Achilles tear, because obviously Kobe had gone through it earlier. And, you know, Sherman shares a a lot of similar traits in terms of the competitive nature that he has that, that Kobe Bryant did. Um and so it was it was really tough for Sherman and and hearing him talk about it and saying basically you know Kobe's telling me to Kobe would want me to man up he would want me to go play really well in this game play some dominant ball as as Sherm said it and and do it for Bryant and and I do think that's what Kobe would want but yeah it it went from for me personally um being super excited about coming to the Super Bowl and the, and then getting that news midway through the trip and then sort of getting here and, and, you know, feeling sort of melancholy as I got here in Miami, the weather's been good. Um, you know, it's a, like we said over and over again, it's a really cool Super Bowl matchup. Um, there, There's a lot of, of history on the line here between these two teams. And it's Kobe Bryant is such a gigantic figure that it sort of cast a shadow over the whole thing. And it's, it's just really sad and really unfortunate because, um, you know, Kobe. A lot of people sort of thought Kobe was going to live forever and be one of those guys that was always going to be doing his thing, whether it be new media or training athletes at his um, athletic center and the Mamba mentality living on and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so it was it was really tough to hear about how sad all of the players were because of how much they looked up to him and, and everything like that. And it's just really unique this week because it's the Super Bowl and it happened literally right at the start of the Super Bowl. So um, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, things will get back to a, a little bit of a sense of normalcy starting tomorrow on, on Wednesday when this podcast come out because there will be a normal practice schedule. Um, the Super Bowl week is a little bit unique in that you have that opening night event on Monday, which is really, in, in all honesty, a total shit show, um, which we can talk about. But then Tuesday, there's availability, but there's no practice. So it's it's a lot of like feature writing. I, I know I've written a couple features already. There's not a whole lot of news to be taken out of this week, and, and that'll kick back up when when practice does start. Um, but yeah, the Kobe Bryant thing it really s- makes this a unique Super Bowl because he's such a transcendent figure and and a guy that so many people looked up to. That, um, like I said, it just sort of casts a shadow over the whole thing.
3: Well, and I, I guess we should we should start there then with with Super Bowl opening night. Uh, I'll ask you questions here because you were there. I was sitting at a computer trying to pull down as much audio as I could. Uh, Both for my radio show and for Niners Wire. I think that's something that, uh, you know, I I don't, like you said, I, I, while Kobe Bryant deserves uh, all all the attention and all the the praise he's going to get. This is a football podcast. Yeah. And And I I mean, I, there's, here's, here's the thing. Um, there are so many words and podcasts and articles and things that you can read and listen to that are going to articulate what Kobe Bryant means way more than I can. Same. Um, so if that's what you're looking for, like please, like I, I encourage you to go find it because there's some magnificent work uh, out there on that. But uh, Super Bowl opening night, I, I think the the biggest, at least the biggest early takeaway for me was just how much Kobe Bryant content uh, there was. And I think that just kind of speaks to, uh, and I have a question here for you, Chris, so, so mm-hmm. stand by. I think that kind of speaks to just kind of the titanic figure he was uh, in the sports world as, as a whole. Like every 49ers player that's on Twitter had some kind of reaction to the news that carried over into Monday at opening night. Is this something that you think will continue carrying over into the game, or do you think by Sunday the the focus will be more heavily on on football? Or do you foresee this? Like Richard Sherman mentioned that uh, what you said, how he's going to go out there and try and do this for Kobe. He's going to try and play some dominating ball. The the Mamba mentality lives on. Is that something that you think is is? Just kind of an in the moment thing, or do you do you really think that you're gonna have players on both sides of the ball going out there, going, "Hey, we're we're doing this
2: for for Kobe Bryant." Yeah, I, I think so, to be honest. And you know, I I'm expecting there to be a tribute to to Bryant maybe before the game with a moment of silence, something like that. I, it's it's the first football game since his death, um, and so yeah, I do think it's it's gonna be a prominent storyline from the game particularly with somebody like richard sherman who was close to kobe bryant so yeah i do think that that that's going to factor in and um you know i don't i don't know if we're really going to notice if if people are going to notice you know jumping off the television screen but um you know i i I would expect richard sherman maybe in warm-ups to be really emotional maybe in um you know at certain points during the game maybe be really emotional It, it will be uh I, I do think, and, and he won't be the only one obviously, Tyron Matthews spoke a lot about Kobe Bryant, um, Pettis like I mentioned, um, so yeah I, I think it's it's going to be a big storyline and um, and he meant a lot to a lot of people and sort of created this um, you know, the Mamba mentality might be something that a lot of people joked about but in terms of its impact and how much it influenced people, I think it's, it's very real because it sort of defined the mentality that Beforehand, never really had a, 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 a definition, or, or I guess I should say a, a name to it. Right. Yeah. Like right, that competitive nature w- was unique to Bryant because he did sort of brand it, and a lot of people adopted it because they looked at Kobe as, as this, this person they wanted to follow. So, yeah, I, I'm expecting that to, to be a, a major talking point, at least for the game and uh, we'll have to see if there's a visceral reaction from players on the field, but I think there is going to be one.
3: If that was the biggest takeaway, which which I really think it was, the second biggest takeaway I had, like I said, and, and I was not there, I, I'm going off what sites and and people there are electing to publish on Twitter, the George Kittle-Travis-Kelsey love fest? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like something that that people are really enthralled by, and I'm not sure if that's because like they're they're just two fun personalities, but it feels like we never have individual personalities kind of take over in in football the way we do like in the NBA. Uh, Marshawn Lynch kind of did it in his own way by being like the anti-hero in that regard, but Kelsey and 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 Kittle are both very fun loving outspoken Kittle mentioned that he plays the way he does with the with the demeanor that he does because of watching Kelsey while while Kittle was finishing up his college career is that is that to you was that as big of a deal as as it seemed like because it seemed like a lot of people were really focused on those two guys
2: So here's my main takeaway from being at the opening night media event thing. It is a television show. Um, It is built solely really by the league to air on its network exclusively and create a ton of content for TV, for viewers at home, for viral moments that can be packaged online. So like the moment you're talking about when George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are on stage talking together, we can see that they're on stage talking, getting interviewed, and we could see the them on the giant Jumbotron, which is obviously the television feed too, but we couldn't hear it because all of the speakers were faced towards the crowd, and we had no idea what anybody was saying. So it's this really odd dynamic of like, you ever been to a concert and like, you know, they're playing music, but you don't know what song it is because the acoustics suck. That's like, sort. Or of because what... I've
3: had a lot to drink. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's sort of what this was like. It's, it's, it's such a terrible event to be at and, and try to work because there's so much going on at one time. You obviously have 53 players and however many coaches who are out there willing to talk. Um, you have general managers, you have, You know, some people who are quote unquote media members just trying to get somebody to say something visceral uh, to go viral or controversial or whatever. And then you have real reporters trying to do their jobs. And for me, like I wasn't at all paying attention to what was happening. I was really focused on running around and trying to get quotes for my story, which ran today about the 49ers having um, Jerry Rice and Harris Barton and 12 other guys who had won championships with the team in the 80s and 90s there to send the team off on their final team meeting. And you can go read about that at, at thesacb.com slash 49ers or find it on my Twitter. Good plug. Um, yeah, so I I spent my night, instead of trying to absorb all of the stupid shit that goes on in that thing, um, trying to report. And and the good thing is like if you have a story... Sounds like this or- podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. If you have a story or you have an anecdote, um all the players are there and you can run around and you can talk to people and you can put together a good story, but if you're trying to make the event um if you're trying to write about the event and everything that happens the event and all the viral moments, it's really better to be doing it in front of your laptop and a television at home. Right. Because we can't like you know when Deion sanders goes to the podium and starts interviewing somebody uh in the while there's like 50 people around one of those uh stanchions like no nobody around can really hear anything like none of us really know what's going on um but if you're watching on tv it you you get all of that stuff so we miss all of that so it's it's this event where there are way too many people um the nfl basically credentials anybody with a pulse who wants to go um, Dante Pettis was being asked, you know, by this, this group of reporters for his hat. Uh, George Kittle was was being asked if he could play Rocket League online with, you know, with some guy, Richard Sherman. In, in the early portion of his scrum, there was some guy talking about how big of a Seahawks fan he was and that he wanted to apologize for Sherman on behalf of all the 12s and that he hopes Sherman will come back. And it was like this really like, obviously, that's not a professional thing that, an actual media member would do but it is indicative of what the opening night event is and that it's it's just a gigantic sideshow um I have so I have so anyway it to to go back to your question like yeah I think that the Kelsey and Kittle thing is is real because I do think those guys genuinely like each other um they are the two best tight ends in the league quite clearly and and I don't remember last the last time that there was a game with with tight ends um That matchup like like the two best tight ends in the league playing in the Super Bowl I don't remember that happening before so that's interesting but in terms of like you know a lot of that stuff was just packaged for TV like they stick Jimmy Garoppolo and Pat Mahomes on the stage together so they can get them on on stage at the same time and interview them and stuff and we couldn't hear any of that either Um, and then you have Sherman and Tyron Matthew and everybody's yucking it up but we just couldn't hear any of it. So your guess is as good I mean, you have a much better idea of what happened at the event than I did because I was just running around <laughs> trying to report my own stuff and um, and yeah, I'm I'm good off uh, off the Super Bowl opening night. It's it's not my favorite event, put it that way. And I don't know I don't know any media members really that like it, to be honest. So, I know there are people on NFL network who'd be like, Oh, this is fun, right? And right. it's it's largely because they're paid to say that. So there are like five people on podiums, right? There are like 10.
3: Okay, so there's like 10 people. Now, does every player get up on a podium at some point? Or when you say you're walking around trying to get quotes, like you're literally like running around and it's like, oh, hey, there's uh, Elijah Lee. Elijah, let's
2: talk. Yeah, exactly. And um, so basically they'll do the star players, obviously, um Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo are on the two most um the the podium where I guess there's the most space. So if you try to go there early in the session, it's like 20 or 30 people deep. So there're probably like a couple hundred people around each of those podiums. And then as the thing goes on, they're at those podiums for an hour. They thin out because people start to move around. Um so you can move around a little bit, but it's basically 10 players uh on podiums which are sort of circling the stage. So the area where we were working was like this big giant donut type thing with the stage in the very middle. And then right around the stage was the stanchions. And so you're going around. I was basically just doing laps the entire time, probably while the 49ers were doing their thing. I, I probably did five or six laps just walking around. And um, that way, you know, you you can see all the players who aren't on the on the stanchions um, you can get pretty easily. And, like, D Ford wasn't on a stanchion for whatever reason. Um, and a, a bunch of other guys that, you know, I, I was uh, interested to talk to. I, did, I saw Mike McGlinchey. I didn't talk to him. But, um, yeah, it's just a unique setup. And uh, it's very hectic. If you uh, – I don't love crowds. I'm not a big crowds person. And so it was tough in the beginning to try to, like, deal with the anxiety. But, uh, you know – just take take some breaths away, get get away, go down, go down uh, the hallway in the back to the bathroom if you need to, and uh, you know, drink some water, catch your breath and and everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> but if you do have anxiety for crowds, I would not recommend this event. <laughs>
3: okay, that's duly noted, everybody, write that down. Yeah, um, don't go to Super Bowl opening day. what what did you I um, uh, I have two questions here. Based off what you said, Uh, I'm going to start with D Ford. Frank Clark seems to have like some weird animosity toward D Ford and his offsides penalty last year. Like he took a shot at him in his post game interview after Mm -hmm. the AFC championship. And then he took another shot at him last night, like randomly. Uh, And then Frank Clark also said the Niners have never seen a. Defensive end like him before, and as our buddy Rob Louder pointed out on Twitter, uh, the Niners have played against Frank Clark eight times. <laughs> uh, like, w- do, do you have any thoughts on <laughs> Frank Clark having this like weird beef with D Ford? No, I. I think... And is it is it reciprocated at all from
2: Ford? Like things no things you've For- heard from. No, Ford is is. D Ford is a very interesting guy, and he has a very unique personality and sort of mindful approach to what he does. Um, he he's he's an artist, like he, or at least he has the mind of an artist. I should say he's he's a musician. He has a ton of different guitars. He plays keyboard. Um, he's very. When you talk to him, he he talks very slow. He's very chill, very relaxed. Um, and he just, he has this sort of unique, uh, I don't really know how to explain it. I'll, hopefully the words will come to me, but he, he, I think he's very much trying to avoid the combative nature of whatever Frank Clark is trying to do. And I think Frank Clark is, is just talking to talk like, and I don't know Frank Clark really well. I know obviously he had some. Some pretty serious issues coming out of the draft. He's a bad dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, the that that's that's fair to say, um, or at least he's done a, a lot of bad things, or been accused of of doing some bad things. I should say I'm not trying to libel anybody here, but um, he has he has some issues in his past allegedly, and so uh, he's just talking, and and it's not really provoked by the 49ers, and the 49ers certainly are not. Talking back, I think you know Joe Staley. I haven't asked Joe this specifically, but Joe Staley has a very high opinion of Frank Clark, the player. Um, I know I've talked to him in the past when Clark was on the Seahawks, and Staley said, "Yeah, he's, he's one of the most well-rounded defensive ends in the league." And Clark, for whatever reason, is uh, is deciding to um, to talk smack this week, and that's his prerogative. He's he's a football player, and and whatever edge he needs. Um, to find to to give himself or self-motivate. I I guess that, that's a thing. But D Ford is really just, you know, I asked him about the approach it takes to know that you're gonna be at the Super Bowl answering the same questions over and over and over again about the um the offsides penalty from the FC championship game last year. And he basically said like, I just have to move on and just understand that I'm human. I make I made a mistake and it happened and the only healthy way for me to deal with it is to just acknowledge it, take ownership of it, and move on. and And that's all I can do. And I know I'm going to get asked questions over and over again because it is a significant storyline going into this playoff, going into the Super Bowl, I should say. And uh, and that's just how he's dealing with it. And it's super real. and And I think uh, I think it's a very healthy way of dealing with it. Um, but in terms of Frank Clark, like I haven't I haven't been around him. I haven't gone to Chiefs availability yet. Um, I'm probably not going to go tomorrow because the bus to get there is uh, is at 6 a.m., which is approximately five and a half hours from right now. Um, so I think I might finally catch up on some sleep for the first time since getting here. But, yeah, it is a little bit unique. Frank Clark said, uh, I'll, I'll read the quote, I don't know nothing about him. Um, I couldn't name a stat. I don't know the school he went to. Uh, I just know he had lined up offside and anybody who lined up offside at a time like that, I feel like that's a dumb penalty at the end of the day. I'm sure he feels the same way. Personally, I've lined up offsides before, but not in that type of situation. In any situation, it's something that shouldn't happen. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, a foot, a real football savant. Yeah. I, it's one of these things. Um, I mean, it's just an odd week. Like with the Kobe Bryant stuff, um, that's really been the news of, of Super Bowl week so far. There hasn't really been any other news. It's a lot of the, the podium talk and the conversation surrounding the game is is about the matchup, but there hasn't been any developments. And so I guess this Frank Clark thing is really the only version of trash talk that we've had at the Super Bowl so far. Um, and I think the 49ers are fine with that. Like if Frank Clark wants to talk trash – that's cool with them. Uh, they've never the Niners haven't been a team that's really talked trash all year with the exception of Nick Bosa um, going after Baker Mayfield in that uh what is it week five game um, against that Monday nighter against the Browns where the 49ers dominate. But other than that, there really hasn't been a whole lot. I think there's there's a lot of respect for the Chiefs on the 49ers side. Um, and I haven't been I, like I said I haven't talked to the I haven't gone to Chiefs availability and talked to any of their players yet. Um thinking maybe I'll do that on Thursday, but um, yeah, the Frank Clark thing is weird. and uh, and I think he's just a different personality, a different kind of cat. And for whatever reason, he's going into this game feeling like it's necessary to take shots at d Ford. and uh, and D Ford isn't really reciprocating that. So I think D Ford is trying to um, make this as 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 non-inflammatory a storyline as possible going into the game. and and uh, if that's going to get Ford to play his best ball, then I, I think that's probably the right approach to take.
3: Yeah, I just thought it was so interesting because you have Andy Reid calling Richard Sherman the best corner in the league, and you've got Kyle Shanahan talking about how hard Patrick Mahomes is to defend, and there's the Kittle-Kelsey thing, and there's just a lot of mutual respect <laughs> between the two teams. And then you hear all these Frank Clark quotes come out, uh, just just taking these random shots at D-Ford. it was like, wait, 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 who who invited this guy <laughs> this guy that showed up to the party too drunk um no I just uh I don't know I, I thought that was really really strange and like you said it feels like these teams were really purposely. like Tyreek Hill even did the whole thing where he was like hey I'm gonna uh, Richard Sherman I'm gonna talk some smack like get these cameras on me, like made a big deal out of it. And he's like, oh, I respect your game. You're one of the best. I hope we can get a Jersey swap. Uh, <laughs> and, and it just feels like that was one of the things where it's like, man, these guys are really going out of their way to not put any bulletin board material up
2: right, for, and- for the
3: other side. <laughs> and then Frank Clark, just Leroy Jenkins there at the end.
2: Uh, I was, uh, I was just wild. Can can we talk about a sliding doors moment, um, as our friend Kevin Clark might say? I don't know what um, that means, but go ahead. Okay, sliding doors is like if one thing happens, then everything's different. Um, so I'm writing. Oh, about this so tomorrow. it's just uh, like when a thing happens. Got it. Okay, yeah, keep yeah, going. Yeah. So I, I wrote about this today, and it's publishing. Uh, by the time you you listen to this podcast on Wednesday, this story will be up on this for the Sacramento Bee, um, and it's a long one, but it's sort of about. The idea of um, how Kyle Shanahan approached the situation at quarterback when he came in in 2017 um, and how it it got to it allowed this game to happen the way it did. Right. So in 2017, Kyle Shanahan basically said today and he confirmed he's confirmed this before, more or less, but he said it at the podium today that. You know, everybody knows that I wanted Kirk Cousins, and and my plan initially was to get Kirk Cousins in 2018. And the interesting thing about that was he said, um, with Cousins, he knows what he can, he knows what he has, or knows what he would have because he coached him before. Whereas he looked at the prospects in the 2017 class draft class, and thought there was a lot of risk with all of those guys. He thought there was risk with Mitch Trubisky, Pat Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. And because of all that risk, Shanahan didn't feel like taking it with the first pick of his tenure, with the first draft pick that he was going to make. And obviously the Solomon Thomas thing hasn't worked out in terms of him being worth the, the third overall pick. But he basically said about Mahomes that it was really hard to evaluate him because he didn't do any NFL stuff In college, basically, like it wasn't a pro style scheme. A lot of it was sort of backyard football off schedule, um, things like that, not really going through progressions and, um, you know, making reads and, and all of that, that he would be required to do in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So instead of taking the risk with Mahomes, he wanted to do something safe because he knew he had a quarterback he thinks he could trust in Kirk Cousins. Well, as it turns out, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, and I think a lot of this, too, happened because Mahomes was in probably the best situation to go into as a quarterback, where you're learning from somebody like Alex Smith, who is known to be a fantastic mentor and teammate, um, and somebody who is great to learn from just from Uh, a work ethic perspective, an approach perspective, mindset, all of those different things, Um, reading defenses, the fundamentals of the position Alex Smith is at that point in his career was an ideal guy to learn from. And Alex Smith, I would imagine, if he wanted to be a quarterback's coach um, and maybe an offensive coordinator down the road, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if Smith was really good at that. But being a quarterback's coach, and specifically I think Smith – would be fantastic at whenever he hung up his career his cleats if he did want to do that. Um, so anyway, Patrick Mahomes going to Kansas City, getting a year in Andy Reid's offense, learning from Alex Smith, I think is a significant reason why he's at this point. Anyway, Kyle Shanahan didn't draft a quarterback because he was banking on Kirk Cousins in 2018. Meanwhile, and this was after the fact that the 49ers had been. Um, talking to the Patriots about Jimmy Garoppolo and the Patriots basically saying Garoppolo's not on the trade block because um, he's going to end up replacing Tom Brady. Well, turns out Tom Brady continues to play and the Patriots can't pay both Garoppolo and Brady, of course. And then Bill Belichick texts Kyle Shanahan at five in the morning on Halloween and says, let's do this for a second round pick. Shanahan, um, I think he was, he didn't say this, but he, he said it was 5 in the morning and he was asleep, and then uh, he sent a text message to John Lynch, who came downstairs, uh, which indicates to me that both John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan had slept in the team facility after that Eagles game when they got shellacked in Philadelphia. Um, and then uh, they talked about it for 10 minutes and then pulled the trade off. So anyway, there it's it, Shanahan revealed a lot sort of about the details – of all the the thinking and and the philosophy behind his decision-making process when it came to finding a quarterback. And obviously it worked out for both teams, but you do wonder what the 49ers would look like with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback on a rookie contract instead of paying Jimmy Garoppolo. Um And, you know, maybe if Pat Mahomes is our quarterback, the 49ers don't end up with a number two pick. They don't get Nick Bosa. um It's a completely different-looking team, probably, but it might be just as good of a team because you have Kyle Shanahan and a potentially transcendent quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. But now, you know, that didn't happen. Kyle Shanahan banked on getting Kirk Cousins, and because he did that, he wound up with Jimmy Garoppolo, And now the rest is history. Garoppolo versus Mahomes in the Super Bowl in a roundabout way. Um, And the sliding doors moment, obviously, is if Kyle Shanahan just says, all right, with my first pick as a head coach, my first NFL draft pick, I'm going to pick a quarterback. Um, And it could have been Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, frankly. Um, And, you know, he didn't go that route. And ultimately, it it seems silly in hindsight, but we're also talking about a team that's playing in the Super Bowl that might be one of the most it might it's probably the most balanced team in the league obviously to get to this point with how good the defense is so it's a uh, it's an interesting subplot for the Super Bowl because it could have it, it could have looked dramatically different for both teams and they could have been sent down dramatically different paths In large part because Kyle Shanahan was like, yeah, I'm going to get Kirk Cousins and that's how we're going to do this thing. And uh, it didn't end up happening that way. I need to say something.
3: (laughs) Go for it. This whole, like, I I, I saw this from some people on on Niners Twitter today. And I'm too embedded on Niners Twitter and I understand that, but it's fine. The 49ers were not choosing between Solomon Thomas and Patrick Mahomes. And chose to go with Solomon Thomas. Like, that's not something that happened. Patrick Mahomes went 10th. And the Chiefs traded up to get him. If you go to Patrick Williams draft profile, if you go to a lot of the pre-draft stuff, he was like a late first, maybe second round type of guy. Because he played in that air raid system under Cliff Kingsbury and Texas Tech. And we hadn't really seen at that point that work consistently in the NFL. And that hadn't really translated into NFL success. Like, he had all the physical tools, but could he make that transition? And like you said... That's why getting a year under Alex Smith and and in Andy Reid's system was probably so beneficial for Mahomes. But this idea that the 49ers whiffed on the Patrick Mahomes pick is asinine because that's not what happened. Like, it was Mitchell Trubisky and Deshaun Watson were the top two quarterbacks in that draft. And maybe somebody that's listening to this is like, well, I was really high on Mahomes. Congratulations, you were one of not that many people. Like, this revisionist history that Patrick Mahomes was the d- number one quarterback in that draft and and it, people couldn't believe that he fell to number 10, like, no, that's not how it happened at all. The 49ers taking Solomon Thomas is a completely separate issue from Patrick Mahomes. I understand that it's the storyline now because they're facing each other and it's the what if Patrick Mahomes was with the 49ers, but that's a what if we're concocting based on two years of watching Patrick Mahomes dominate in the NFL and two, uh, two years of watching Solomon Thomas not be that good at football. So... I, I I really want to push back on the idea that the 49ers were like in the running to they were gonna take Patrick Mahomes, but then they chose not to, and oh, what what could have been? Like, that's not how it went down whatsoever. And also, it's not new that Kyle Shanahan wanted Kirk Cousins. Like, I think that's that was the whole reason behind uh not taking a quarterback there John Lynch has said as much like Kyle really wanted Kyle really wanted Kirk Cousins but then we traded for Jimmy Garoppolo we got this sweet deal and then Garoppolo had that comeback against the Titans where he led the Niners down and they kicked a game-winning field goal against the playoff-bound Titans and Shanahan walked into Lynch's office and said get a contract done this is our guy like that's not that's not new and so like the 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 people running with this notion that like holy smokes kirk cousins is the reason the niners don't have patrick mahomes like no dude they were never going to have patrick mahomes that that was that was never going to be a thing that was going to happen and if it did it was going to be like in the middle rounds because he fell that far so uh i i just i really wanted to get that out because i read like so many things about it today and uh i i needed to to get that out
2: anyways so so what chris your thoughts basically said was like i didn't want to take any big risks like particularly a quarterback right because if you draft a quarterback in the first round you invest that highly in him and he ends up not being good then that could ultimately be the decision that defines your tenure right like if Say Kyle Shanahan had drafted, you know, Mitchell Trubisky or Pat Mahomes or whatever, and they didn't end up being a good starting quarterback, then we wonder, okay, is Kyle Shanahan the right guy for the job, right? And so Kyle Shanahan knew what he had in Kirk Cousins. He's probably the biggest believer in Kirk Cousins in the NFL, um, and you know, we, we've Kirk Cousins had a really good year, and and this isn't going to be an episode uh relitigating the whole Kirk Cousins conversation but the point was that Shanahan didn't want to take the risk of whiffing on a quarterback in the first round that's basically what he said today so um for him he did admit that we probably should have looked harder into Mahomes but yeah like like you said i i would also push back on the idea that like you know the, they i mean here basically Kyle Shanahan didn't know enough about Mahomes or there wasn't enough evidence that Mahomes could make all the progressions could do you know go through NFL style reads and it would it's likely that Mahomes would have come in and had to start right away and um and who knows what that would have looked like right like you see a lot of good young quarterbacks come in and then their confidence is killed because they play behind a bad offensive line or they don't have any weapons right? or uh, it's just a bad situation overall. And it seemed very clear that with taking Solomon Thomas and then Reuben Foster, Shanahan wanted to draft talented defensive players because the scheme is heavily reliant on talent. And then he could basically coach up an offense that, was less talented into being really good in large part because of scheme, right? So that's, that was Shanahan's approach was let's build the defense first. Let's not take the risk on a, on a quarterback because I have sort of an ace in the hole in cousins who I trust to play at a high level as a veteran who has experience in my offense. And then if I bring him in with a strong defense, then I can start building with offensive players around him and then uh, and then we we could be cooking with gas but yeah it, it wasn't um, you know I, I there, there wasn't any thought that the 49ers were going to take Bat Mahomes but I do wonder now and you know if, if the Niners win a championship in a few days like it's not it's gonna be totally moot but I do wonder if Shan if there's any part of Shanahan that is like man I should have just taken him try to develop him. Um, go take things slowly and um, but I mean the 49ers were a disaster that first year of their rebuilding project like they went they started oh9 and, um, and that is that is bad like that is as bad as it gets hey so, hey real quick they started
3: 0 and 9 until CJ Beathard torched Steve bagnolo's Giants defense there you go <laughs> Steve bagnolo yeah. is the chief's defensive coordinator now that's the connection there yep. Yep. So,
2: yeah, um, I got to admit, I'm tired. It is 1241 I, in the morning. My, the, the
3: natural progression of this conversation is to start getting into the game, which we are going to do on Thursday.
2: We are going to do a full breakdown on Thursday. I am, Dude,
3: I am neck deep in this, the all 22 from the week 11 <laughs> Chargers-Chiefs game. The ch- d- Dude, the Chargers in this one. Uh, held the Chiefs relatively in check. They got an interception from Patrick Mahomes, and they only won uh, because
2: Philip Rivers was not good. Put it this way: I'm um, I'm am, I am optimistic about the 49ers' chances in the game, and I, I think I I um, I said as much in the pods last week. But I, I just think the 49ers don't have holes. Really, like you know, if you if you want to make the argument that you don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo, I guess that's fine. But that's probably their most glaring hole, and that hasn't really been a hole for them all season, or at least when it's really mattered. So, um, just in terms of the, you know, the Niners can run the ball, they can throw it when they need to, um, they can be efficient in the passing game, they can obviously defend uh, both the run and the pass. I know Patrick Mahomes is is the best quarterback in the league right now, but um, but I just think that you know the Niners are a better team with fewer holes. And over a full game with two weeks to prepare, um, particularly with Kyle Shanahan going up against Steve Spagnuolo and the offense playing like it is, and we know what this offense looks like after practicing a week on the road, sort of that um, training camp thing where you're you you know you're galvanized you're galvanizing your team. You know we saw it in week two when they put up 570 yards on the Cincinnati Bengals. I know the Bengals obviously the worst team in the league. Um, But they also put up 500 yards on the Saints in that 48-46 win after practicing in Florida, just up the road a little bit here uh, in Bradenton. Um, And so the Niners are obviously practicing this week in Florida. Again, it's a very different week because it is Super Bowl week. But but I just think, like, if the Niners' defense can limit Patrick Mahomes to, like, 30 points, 33 points – I have enough faith in the 49ers offense to be able to score against Kansas City's defense because of the multi- the, the levels of Kyle Shanahan's offense and the levels being all the different plays they can run out of every different kind of formation, all the different weapons they have, all the guys who can play multiple positions, the different looks, hey, um, the pre-snap motions. And we'll talk about this on Thursday. I was going to say, uh, I'm optimistic spoiler alert, 49ers chances as a as a preview. Yeah, going into the next episode of the pod. <laughs> I just
3: i what you what you just said. It was funny today on on the radio. We had a lot of people going. Well, the Niners are a running team. It's like, well, not really. Like they they were the last two weeks, but the whole thing about their offense is that they're not really either a running or passing team. They're a whatever's going to gain them a lot of yards
2: team. I mean, they've rushed the ball a lot, but they're, they're like fifty fifty. Yeah, I mean, it's the second highest rate in the league. But uh, here's how I would classify the Niners' offense. The Niners are a scoring team. They, they're the second highest scoring team in the league. So, you know, a running team, like we do this thing where, oh, it's a running team. They just run to complement their defense. They can't really score. It's like, no, they, they can score. They score 30 points a game. They're, you know, one of two teams in the NFL to score 30 points a game. Um, And I think off the top of my head, the Chiefs are the other one, but the Niners also have uh, a defense that's allowing 18.9 points a game. I keep harping on that 169 yards allowed net yards, the best number in a decade. I I think um, that's going to be important. D Ford's health, getting a week off going into this game against this former team is going to be important. Uh, Nick Bosa, I don't, you know, I don't bet on these things, but like, Looking at the odds for Nick Bosa, I think it was twenty-five to one to win Super Bowl MVP. Nick Bosa does what Von Miller did in Super Bowl fifty um, against the Panthers, where he had a two and a half sacks and a couple of forced fumbles. Like I, I think Nick Bosa could is capable of having that kind of game. I think he's that good of a player. So if the 49ers win, it's probably going to be going to be because Pat Mahomes is forced into making some mistakes, and uh, I think Bosa can do that. And I also I just I think the Niners are going to score. I really do. and so it's it's gonna be up to the defense to limit uh, what Patrick Mahomes can do. and I think Mahomes is gonna get his, but uh, I think the 49ers can score enough points to win. You done? I'm done. Okay. I'm done. I didn't want you, I didn't want the you to un- party. I didn't I want you to un- Miami. Shout out to Rick Ross. Hey, hey nice dude. Yeah, the party was, awesome. was Fun. They had a they had a casino with no money involved, so you could just go play blackjack and just keep getting chips from the dealer.
3: Hey, so, I'm uh, not gonna lie to you. That, that sounds made, awesome. made some friends. Yeah. Like playing blackjack, but you can't lose. Sounds like my kind yeah. of blackjack. Uh, additionally, bar, free food. You went to the port of Miami, but have you driven a Maybach not... to Santorini? No. Because I'm pretty sure I've not Ross driven talks a
2: car. Uh, Nick Wagner of ESPN and I have been driving around in his rental. Uh, we're in a black Chevy Equinox. <laughs> um, so it's not quite a Maybach, it's, but it's basically called... a Maybach. Yeah, basically. Um, so yeah, but uh, a lot of uh, the, the the radio stations in Miami. Every time we get in the car, they're playing that "The uh, Baby" song. Your guy Roddy Rich. The Box, yeah. Yeah, the box. That's that's the 49ers like anthem of the week. Okay. It's a great song. Um, so we're gonna preview the pot, the uh, the Super Bowl in our episode that we record on Thursday. It'll be up Friday. You will have two full days before.
3: It's don't wear no shoes in my house.
2: Sorry, go ahead. To to consume that, um, keep reading NinersWire.com for Kyle's excellent Super Bowl coverage, and of course. Read the Sacramento B SACB.com slash 49ers. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Kyle A. Madsen. Uh, I am at Chris Biederman. And uh, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you guys later in the week, uh, live from Miami and live from... Uh, <laughs> Oakley, California, <what>? baby. <laughs> Oakley? Yeah. Oakley? Okay. Oakley to Miami. We will talk to you Thursday.